Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning into the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of to-the-point interviews with a vast variety of professionals to help you gain the exposure and the detailed info you need to find a career path that you'll love. In this episode, you'll actually be hearing from my very own father, Mark Kemp. My dad has been a financial advisor for 31 years, and he has owned his own financial advising practice, Kemp Financial Services, for the last 22. He's taught me so much of what I know about personal finance, entrepreneurship, and using your work to serve others with the utmost excellence and care. You'll see that he's a go-getter and eternal optimist and also a softie at heart. Um, You might want to stick around to the end to hear one of his very classic, sentimental, very sweet moments. (laughs) Um, But whether you want to pick up a few personal finance tips, hear about what's at the heart of being a successful business person, or more specifically, if you want to learn about what it's like to be a financial advisor, whether that's at a large firm or flying solo like my dad has in his own business, or even if you're just curious to get to know my dad, you'll love this episode. I hope you enjoy. All right, what a special occasion. My father is on the other line and we're gonna do a podcast together. (laughs) How exciting, welcome. Thank you. You know, I've watched a lot of your podcasts. I've just, this is the first time I've been asked to be on one. So thanks for asking. Have, wait, hold up. You've watched, how have you watched my podcast? Oh, mom and I watch your podcast all the time. It, seeing that it's a purely audio endeavor, I'm just curious about how that works. But thank you so much for your support. As you can tell, I'm not the technical one between the two of us. Uh, but you do We've just listened. fine. And financial advice. (laughs) There we go. You listen. Well, I appreciate the support as always. And I'm very excited to learn more um, and just have you share more about what it's been like for you to have a career in financial advising and share some practical advice for anyone who through this podcast learns that they might be interested in pursuing a career like yours. So um, you've been in business. Well, in financial advising for 31 years and have had your own practice now for 22 years. Pretty crazy. Um, And so really excited to go into the wealth of knowledge that you have on that. But how about let's just start real simple. Tell me when you graduated college, where you went. This is getting really predictable at this point because as anyone who listens knows, pretty much anyone I interview is an Aggie. Um, You're no exception. Yeah, whoop, gig them. Um, but what did you earn your degree in and start talking a little bit about where your career started? So I am the fighting class class of 1988, Texas Aggie. And mm. I earned a degree, Bachelor of Science in Economics with a minor in management. Mm. Went to work straight out of college. Um, I, I was a December grad because I paid for half of my college in the Gulf of Mexico as an oil roustabout, uh, which pays really well. And, um, but it's hard work and, and it made me appreciate my education every year. Every, every summer I spent offshore, I wanted to come back and work harder on my grades. Uh, did you? Yes, I did. They got better all the time. 
They got better all the time. It was truly the hero's journey by the, by the end. Um, anyway, sorry, we have a little friendly competition about grades, but I think it's it was more competitive in my day and age and more like, as long as you have a degree in your... So, one of the funniest things I've seen on a personalized license plate was on a Bentley Continental convertible in Dallas, Texas, and it said 2.2 GPA. Oh, That's oh my gosh. Funny. That's even better than what I've seen in Austin. I saw a Tesla that had the license plate say art major. <laughs> but yeah, that's better. So anyway, um, yeah, so you graduated with a degree in economics, minor in management. You put yourself through school, or you said half of it. I paid um, half of college working hard offshore on the oil rigs in the summer. Where did your career start? I know that wasn't the smoothest transition of all time and business majors were making fun of you like, oh, you should have just gone into accounting. It's super stable and all that. So what was that like? So what I was looking to do uh, straight out of college, I was actually looking to go to work for Merrill Lynch. And my senior year, I'd done a paper on Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith and done a bunch of research on them and had a um, re- referral to Merrill Lynch in Houston from a friend of mine's dad who I'd met and talked to. And I went to go interview. And on the second or third interview, you know, first they wanted me to take, take some sales, you know, go sell vacuum cleaners or take some sales job. I'm like, well, I want to. I've learned about economics and I'm very interested in the investment markets. I've been investing myself since I was 16. What do I need to do? And it, I basically, by the time I got through their three or four stage interview process, I didn't want to work for them because they're like, we're going to put you in a room. You're going to make phone calls and Mm -hmm. um, you can call as many people as you can and try to sell them some investments. I'm like, that just cheapened it for me. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be a problem solver. That was my whole thing. I want to help people. And that's the joy of financial planning and financial advising is you're helping people. You're a resource. So I went and interviewed with USAA because my father is a retired Marine Colonel and, you know, he had been doing business with USAA forever and they had just started their mutual funds in 1987. So I'm like, well, I could go do that. And they had me do a typing test. I'm like, don't you have staff for that? Why do I need to learn how to type? You know, I can't type fast. So that wasn't a go. So then I was at church praying for a job. And one of the guys that was visiting the church was a financial advisor. And he said, here, why don't you call me Monday? And I will, I will introduce you to our sales manager and see if you can get a job with money financial group. Mm-hmm. So I went through their process and that was like a four interview process. And at the end of the four, fourth interview, I'm like, I'm ready to go to work. What do I need to do? And he's like, Oh, well, you know, here you go. So (laughs) just here's a job. (laughs) I started, uh, you got to study, you start with life insurance with uh, money. Financial group is mutual New York. Now, now is owned by AXA and you know, good company. So I went to work for them because they had a good training program and you had like a $18,000 base salary plus commission kind of deal. Uh, just the first year only was, assist- was the financial assistance. But that helped me get a start. 
and I studied and took the life insurance exam. That wasn't that hard. Uh, and then I wanted to go ahead and get my securities licensing started right away. And they said, well, you really need to get your feet wet, learn insurance and understand more about basic planning. Uh, and six months down the road, we can let you get your securities license. So I did that. I got involved in learning more about different types of life insurance and different types of planning and was really interested in it. And then six months later, I took the Series 6 and 63, which is a basic level um, of securities exam for mutual funds and variable annuities and, and things like that, not full stocks yet. And that worked for my practice because I decided mm -hmm. that I was going to start uh, working with young professionals, professionals my age that were attorneys or, or um, I started working with some young doctors and, and just other people that I knew from, from college and different contexts, personal contexts. You always start with that. Yeah. And everybody, everybody early on needs some basic life insurance. And if, if they're already married, then they need life insurance right away. If they're not married yet, then, you know, it's still a good, good asset to have and lock in your insurance rates at a young age, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I was really more interested in the financial planning and the retirement planning and investment planning. So six months in, got the investment license. And then another year after that, I studied and took the series seven and got my full scale stock stockbroker's license. Um, and so now, it sounds like a year in, uh, you were finally able to get to what you really wanted. Right. Now, other friends of mine that went to work for Merrill or went to work for some of the other retail brokerage houses like uh, Morgan Stanley, Dane Rauscher, those, those, mm -hmm. they went straight into a program where they spend the whole three months studying for the securities exam. Yeah. Well, I was already a year in and already had a lot of knowledge before I took the securities exam the 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 mm -hmm. series seven exam so I already knew it so it was really helpful tell me about the transition into what made you start your own practice and how long that was before you got into that i realized early on that the more i can learn the more value i can add and mm -hmm. the more value i can add the better i get paid and the more people i can help and yeah. so i decided i liked working with business professionals and business owners because I was able to meet them during office hours, not at the kitchen table at night. Mm -hmm. And um, especially uh, mom and I got married three years into my practice. And you guys, you and your twin sister came along a year and a half after that. What a party. I, go, 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 go. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely wanted to be home and mm -hmm. be able to enjoy being with you guys and help mom and be there. So business professionals was you know everything i could learn about um, retirement planning strategies tax planning strategies later on for business owners asset protection strategies um, the more i learned the better off uh, the better i could add value so the more clients i would earn mm -hmm. and that's still the same today i'm i'm always looking for you know what are tax law changes we've got to keep current with that um, always looking for what's going on in the economy, in the market. So, you know, my, my average day starts watching, read, reading updates before the market opens and watching CNBC to get commentary on what's going on too. So mm -hmm. that's a daily thing. Um, yeah. So kind of right off the bat, what were the 
main differences that you started experiencing? Um, I know there's some big obvious ones, but what were some of the main differences you experienced in transitioning from being employed by a financial advising institution versus starting your own business? I realized that when I was employed by a financial company, they wanted me to sell their stuff. So it was all about sales. What do you got coming in this week? How many cases yeah. are you working? The early days were the funniest because they were like, well, you have to, you know, surveys show you have to see three people to get two qualified closes to get one of them to close. Oh, that's really high statistics. I would say a lot less probably. Yeah, it, it may have been, I think the actual was 10 three, one was the actual number. Yeah, probably. And I'm like, the better you know things and the better you understand your clients and you're not trying to push something on them, you're actually meeting a need. That mm. became three, two, two. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I remember one of the best things that Randy Bolt, who was my original sales manager told me is he said, you know, you're a smart guy. You, if you work smart and hard, hard, you'll do very well. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is he said, and if you want to earn more money, just go see more people. I'm like, I love that. <laughs> I love people. <laughs> I, I love people. I love solving problems. I like helping people. And, mm -hmm. and if you can get paid for doing all that, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided, you know, some people go, you should work smart and not hard. No, you should make smart and hard. And hard, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what gets you a good solid work ethic, which my father taught me. Yeah, yeah. And I have conveyed to you and your sister, mm -hmm. that propels us to want to do better. Yeah. So you've got to be self-motivated in this business. And when I, when I realized that I could go from, you know, being pushed on sell this, sell that, to really meeting the financial needs of my clients, mm -hmm. that's a portfolio. That's not a sale one thing or one, two things, or, you know, it's not a financial product deal. It's what do we need? What do we need to invest in? And how do we need to invest that in order to meet your goal? Yeah. Whether it's education, funding for your kids, whether it's retirement planning, maybe it's down payment in the early years for a house. What do we need to invest in? What helps us get that accomplished? Yeah, so it sounds it, like you got the sales the... go away and mm -hmm. you're taking care of people and you become a trusted advisor because they can see that you're looking after their best interests. Mm. So too many people, you know, the, all the people that you read or maybe you see people on American Greed. Well, they're all about the money. They don't care about people. You've got to care about people or, I mean, I've seen so many people that are fake and mm. they may do well with one or two sales, but if, if you're constantly losing clients because they realize you're not taking care of them, that's no good. Yeah. That's the way to build a part of practice. Some of my favorite people to talk to, I have worked for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like moving into starting your own financial advising business gave you the agency to be able to say, I want to be completely present with the clients that come in and I want to serve them objectively with the products, services, whatever investments that will serve them best uniquely. And so I'm not tied to an agenda for with the company 
that I was previously working with. So that's really cool. That that just increased your ability to serve. Um, and so what does a career progression typically look like for someone going into financial advising? Um, I guess especially if they start out most likely typically at um, a larger institution. So the three institution pipelines, if you will, uh -huh. banks would be a fourth, but basic pipelines are insurance and investment companies like New York Life, AXA, um, Guardian has a good program, retail brokerage firms like Merrill Lynch, UBS, Morgan Stanley, or large registered investment advisories that are companies that have older owners and they're bringing in some younger people to train up and to take over part of the practice. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, a lot of advisors my age, you know, getting in their mid fifties to early sixties, that, that bracket that are um, selling practices. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I'm, I'm not interested in buying a practice. I'm interested in growing mine mm -hmm. um, because that's all my centers of influence, all my uh, client referrals that I don't do any other marketing. Yeah. I just, I just work for existing clients and happy clients and ask for them as long as you're happy with what I do, please don't give me a secret Yeah. <laughs> for referrals. Yeah. And then I guess in terms of working for a company, there might be technical titles and promotions to work through, but when you're in business for yourself, it sounds like the, career progression is really just characterized by specializing in your niche and that typically it sounds like from what I've learned from you it's just identifying the sphere of influence that you really want to serve the most so early on in your career you said young professionals I've talked with other financial advisors friends from college that went into this type uh, this field of work that specialized in helping teachers really you could do anything like slice and dice it however you want the sure. group of people that's on your heart to go serve with helping them steward their finances and grow it make their money work for them um, the options are limitless but um, what are some other aspects that you kind of progress into as your career goes on in financial advising so whenever you start you're just starting with training, you're studying, you're taking the securities exams, you'll start with a six and 63, which is mutual funds basically in blue sky laws. Then you go to series seven, which is full securities brokerage, um, series 65, which is a registered investment advisory exam. You can go from there. Um, what's interesting to me is, you know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of name tags. You know, mm -hmm. there's junior associate, senior associate, Registered representative, advisor, uh, vice president of this and that, blah, blah, blah. I just take care of people. You won't see anything other than registered, registered representative on my card. It's just real basic because yeah. I'm basically, when somebody asks me what I do, I, I help people meet their financial needs. I, I help people figure out how to do their planning. I'm a financial problem solver by nature and I help them meet their financial goals and and aspirations. Yeah. So I'm always curious to hear about the misconceptions for any of these professions that I'm highlighting in this series. So what are some of the common misconceptions you've Why do I need an advisor? I can do this myself. That's okay. the number one. That's the number one. 
That is, of course, true. There's so many people that love personal finance. They love to learn um, about investing just as you do. You just turned it into a career. Um, and so they can do that. But um, another aspect to it is that this is your full-time job and you have access to a lot more um, investments that are a lot higher level and higher yield um, that they would get access to in working with you. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit in that I can do it myself. Of course you can. You might act with a seasoned trustworthy financial advisor actually just see more return <laughs> um, in that. Well, they're going to learn from my mistakes because I'm just going to tell them that doesn't work. Don't go down that road because um, mm -hmm. everybody's made mistakes. But the other thing is I have 31 years of market economic knowledge, tax knowledge, business knowledge. There's so many screens that my mind goes through when, when we're figuring out how to, how to answer or solve a problem that I usually just tell the clients, look, if you just tell me what you need, then we'll work through a plan to meet that need, to address the need. Mm -hmm. And just like, you know, clients all the time say, oh, well, this IRA has done really well. I need to pull two grand out of that. Uh, and then, so when I called the client, this one of those this week, we've made this incredible return, 30% return literally since, since the bottom of the market in March, 30% mm -hmm. return on his IRA. So he's super excited about that. He's like, well, I need to pull some money back and do this and do that. I'm like, okay, well, do you, let's talk about, do you have any savings? And he goes, well, yeah, I didn't want to touch that. I said, well, John, what, what would you rather do? Spend 27% in taxes on the money you pull out of your IRA or use your after-tax savings. And then if we need to reimburse the savings, then we'll pull from the IRA. But there's yeah. always a better way to do things. And I, my mind goes through different screens of what's the best financial decision for them, given on their circumstances, where they have money, where's the best place to pull it, the most efficient. I do that on a regular basis. And, you know, my clients don't pay me for that. They don't have to do that. It's just value add. Yeah. So what are some other, um, so what's a, another common misconception that you run into? Oh, the most recent one has been the funniest is that, uh, um, you're getting paid some big commission. I'm like, I get paid a commission. I don't consider it big, but, but so when we look at that, that's why I went and got the registered investment advisor license so I could charge a fee if they want to do that. Um, but there, there is people out there that are RIAs, registered investment advisors that advertise and say, you know, we only make, you know, we only make money. We do better when you do better. That's because they charge an annual fee. So as your account goes up, they get charged, they charge more. What I look at is a lot of the things that we do are long-term holdings. So there's an investment you may be in, you may be in for 10 years, you may hold this fund. You, well, you paid me 3%. I, I got paid a 3% commission on it. And that's over a 10 year period versus 1% a year, as long as you hold it. Mm. There's good ways to look at it. There's a misconception. I think if I haven't established strong trust with a client, then there's a misconception of, oh, there's something bad he's not telling me. No, we're, we're full disclosure. You have to be. Um, to be securities licensed, you, you're held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. And so full disclosure is important on everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think um, kind of from what I've learned from you over the years and witnessed and even heard other peers of mine talk about in their perception of financial advisors, it seems like there can be um, a little bit of a misconception or connotation that financial advisors can be self-seeking. And of course, like there's always going to be bad apples out there. But what I've seen from you is you care so deeply about the people that you serve and you really believe in the services you're providing them. You believe in them having a strong retirement. You believe in them having hope in uh, their savings and what they could do and maximizing their uh, resources and all of these things. And um, to you, it's such a people... It's a business that allows you to connect with people, which is kind of like your passion because you're such a people person, but, and then better yet, allows you to serve them in a way that you find most meaningful. Just like you acknowledge finances are just such an important aspect of your life. Just like to me, I'm like the job you sit in, such an important aspect of your life. Kind of always goes back to that mantra I've repeated plenty of times in different episodes that everyone genuinely just wants to help people and get money doing it so they can continue to help people. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to find a career path that will be an amazing, rewarding, and exciting fit for you. If indeed you are still holding out hope that that's even possible, which I can assure you is completely possible as I've given dozens of Christians, one, a reformed view of work, from mundane responsibility to actually the joyful gift that it is, two, help identifying their unique calling, and three, the help they need to practically land the job that's aligned with it. If it sounds like a dream to have a tried and true career coach come alongside you to help you confidently discern which career path you're called to pursue amidst the infinite sea of options that are so overwhelming, as well as help you nail all the practicals like networking, resumes, interviews, and negotiations to save you a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that are just seemingly such a common experience. They don't have to be. If any of that sounds extremely exciting, then I want to invite you to apply for my deep dive career coaching experience. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through whatever might be holding you back so you could fulfill the vision and hopes you have for your career. I want to let you know I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you, and if you're serious, and if you're ready to accelerate your path to building a meaningful and impactful career aligned with who God uniquely made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to book a free consultation with me this week and learn more. Okay, now back to the episode. So if somebody's an aspiring financial advisor and they're thinking, um, I'm just really interested in uh, financial management, all those things, like I, I definitely want to get into this field, but maybe they're trying to understand what kind of future is best suited to them 
in this profession. And maybe they're thinking, should I stay at a company um, and just grow up through that and through those ranks? Or should I start my own practice? And so what, what advice would you give to someone who, uh, in discerning if they're best suited to um, remain employed by another institution or start their own practice? So I think of different types of practices. Um, Edward Jones, yeah, Edward Jones is the neighborhood financial practice. They're a good place to start because they have a good they have a good program for training. But those clients are always Edward Jones clients. You never own those clients. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like I would if I left when I left Mutual New York my top clients went with me mm. because they knew I was going to do something better and they wanted to be part of that. Um, that would, that would disturb me. But at the same time, if you're, if you're not willing to go find new clients, go out there, um, the, the regular brokerages houses have all kinds of ways for you to get started. And it's usually cold calling and, and, and people that you already know is a good place to start. Um, and, and that's how you, that's how you get your feet wet in it. Um, but then you'll see where can you add value? What, what clients do you enjoy the most helping and working for? And then, then you start focusing and marketing to them or getting involved in, in, um, whether it's a, trade group or something that you can get involved with so you can meet more people in business networking, things like that. Um, you'll, you'll see that in the financial practice, it's one third financial management, one third marketing and one third client relationships and service. Oh yes. That sounds familiar to me. Yeah. And I, I love like my day on a daily basis a couple hours a day at least is servicing clients, taking care of people, answering questions. And I love that because we get to reconnect. And, you know, I always tell clients, Hey, if you're worried about something, would you please call me? Mm-hmm. Even if it's on a weekend, I don't mind. Just call me. Cause I'd rather, I'd rather you call me and say, or text me and say, Hey, could you call me when you get a minute? Then you worry about something all weekend. Yeah, That's not healthy. And so a lot of my clients have been, you know, they've, they're like, well, my other broker didn't ever do that. Thank you. And it's because I care. You know, you don't want people to be nervous about things. And half the time, it is just that they don't have the answer to a question. They need a question answered. When I give them the answer, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's just that not knowing that creates the the angst. Exactly. So when you make yourself available and open to them and invite them into having a, um, a good line of communication, they, you're able to just nip it in the bud when there's a question instead of letting fear and anxiety come in. Because the fact of the matter with financial advising from what I've observed in your career is it has to be so people focused and you have to be such Uh, so good with your interpersonal skills and genuinely caring and empathetic and all these things because having someone say here's my life savings can you make it grow so I could retire at a reasonable age that's a really big deal understandably there are a lot of emotions that are tied up with people's money 
that they they're oh, hard earned yeah. money. And so I know that um, you really honor them in that and acknowledge that as a huge part of your role saying, uh, not just saying that you're trustworthy, but proving that you're trustworthy and that you're there for them and that they could ask you all these questions. And that's kind of funny how I grew up with so many of your clients being family friends. <laughs> um, of yeah, it's kind of cool how that works. But um, if you could just go back to the first couple of years of your career where you were working with a company, um, what did your typical day in the life look like then? Like your hours and your daily tasks. So you're going to laugh at this one. Mama helped me remember this. 8 a.m. <laughs> Monday morning meetings. And when you and your sister were newborns, I hardly got any sleep on the weekends. And I was, I was well known for falling asleep in the Monday morning meetings. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) there would be monthly cold calling, you know, meetings in the evenings. They, they joked it's dialing for dollars, which is easy, but it's funny. There was the weekly sales process updates with the sales manager. How many, how many, uh, prospects did you call on? How many meetings did you set? How many closing meetings did you have? All this blah, 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 the sales <laughs> funnel junk. I could not stand the sales push. I just wanted to take care of people. And when I saw that when, when you take away the financial sale and you make it, let me, let me understand what your overall financial situation is. Let me, figure out what your goals are, what your concerns are, and let's find the investment vehicles that meet those concerns. And here's how it does that. And here's the pro and con, because there's nothing perfect. Then when I could put all that down on paper, they'd be like, oh, well, I like this. And I, and I always would write first draft on the top of a financial plan because it's their plan. They need to make the changes that they want to make. Yeah. When you give them a, you know, when you say, I want to see your changes, it matters. So in doing that, that's the old school sales push to the, how do we meet your needs? How do, here's what we're going to do to take care of that. Yeah. Totally different environment. Totally different. So it sounds like from your early days, super heavy on cold calling and sales push and all of that, making sure that you're up to quota. So what's a day in the life like now? Your hours, like when you come into the office, which is your own office, and um, what kind of tasks you typically are centered on throughout the day? So my, my business morning after getting up and some sort of a workout in a Bible study time um, is I'm reading the pre-market what's going on before 8:30. I'm watching CNBC to see what's going on at the market open. Um, I'm trying to get information. A lot of times I'll do trades that any clients that call me with needing money out of their account or, or maybe they saw something they want me to look into and we'll talk about the trade. Any trades that I've been given after three o'clock the previous business day, I need to place in the first 15 minutes the next day. That's a, that's a rule, uh, securities rule. So you're not delaying the client's request. You got to take care of those first. Um, any trades that I'm doing in, in my own accounts, I do those after the client trades. You always do yours after. Um, and, and then I'll start looking at emails probably get about a hundred emails a day. It's 
Wait, that, how do you that, answer all of them? Uh, a lot of them are, I, so I scan, my first scan is clients. Clients uh -huh. are always going to get the first level of importance. I'm going to reply to them immediately or get on whatever they need done. Second is investment updates. Third is all these investment companies that want me to, you know, market their stuff, mm -hmm. which there's so many of those. It's ridiculous. Uh, we screen those pretty carefully, but I also get updates from like four different market newsletters and economic newsletters that I read through. Mm -hmm. um, most of it, I just try to scan as much as I can. Probably half of the 50 of, of the 50 out of the hundred emails every day are just read, read the, read the line delete. Cause it's just a marketing thing. Oh yeah. That's like me on my LinkedIn. It's like, do you want to learn how to build a six figure coaching business with no effort? <laughs> I get like five of those every single day. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of how it is. Well, and I, and I get, you know, somebody in New York that wants to uh, show me how to gain high net worth clients. <laughs> You're like, let me show you how to gain high net worth clients. That's funny. Um, so what is, well, I'm sorry, did you have any other kind of common tasks that you work through in the day? So I'll be looking at, um, if there's anything big on the economy going, I'll be looking at different funds and what's affected and, and if I need to call anybody on that. Um, we're always looking at, um, yeah, I'm getting ready for client meetings. Whenever we have the meetings, um, I'm already doing like, yesterday I was working on a retirement portfolio for a client that came in at 11 today. Um, I think the biggest joy in my business is I do so much retirement work now because of you know my clients getting older mm -hmm. is is that showing clients here's how much the portfolio is generating and them realizing they actually if if they've done the hard job which is saving the money setting it aside that's why I always say to anybody when you when you first get a job you want to find out whatever the company matches that you, that the company you go to work for is you want to maximize that match or you leave money on the table. You've mm -hmm. got to start that at a young age. You've learned that your sisters learned that. Um, but you start that at a young age because you want to set a discipline of setting money aside and saving and making the money work for you. And it's, it's all a average of long-term numbers growing. Oh yeah. No Especially for retirement. Quick. You've got to get it rolling early so it could compound and like even I've heard like $200 a month invested from 22 to 30 will right. turn into like the, and if you stop investing for the rest of your life after 30, yeah, you're still money you'll ahead. have enough. <laughs> but most people wait later and the people that start at 30 actually who invest the same amount and it ends up being like 20,000 invested if you were in your 20s versus you invest 90,000 if you started at 30 and went right. until 65, you actually never catch up to the person that started earlier. So that's right. a fun tidbit. Yes, it is. <laughs> tidbit. Um, that one's for free. Anyway, but what do you enjoy most about the job and what's uh, a little bit less glamorous? Easy. Okay. Easy. Most is the client's helping people, the relationships. Um, I just so value the client relationships. It's so much fun. Um, 
and uh, you know, I, I, I consider so many clients dear friends. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big deal. Um, I always look at what I, what I love the most is that good work earns more good work. Mm-hmm. And what I always ask for clients is, Hey, if you're happy with me, all I ask is don't give me a secret. And that is work. That is a, all, all this referral um, programs that I've been through when I was at different um, financial institutions. Uh, insurance companies are big on understanding relationships and understanding um, you how to basically teaching you how to ask for referrals and things like that. So I just like the low key way, way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it. very sincere. If genuinely you did such a great job, they yeah. would yeah. feel yeah. like, Hey, I, I would want a friend to benefit so from this too. The, the part that is horrible, um, market crashes are always a lot of time on the phone a lot of time reassuring clients, talking them off the ledge, hand-holding. All that is important because everybody's more, money is important to them. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. You know, if, it, if it's millions or, or, or thousands or hundreds, it's still your money. Mm-hmm. So I always respect their concerns and I always go through, here's what's going on. I read as much as I can on what was going on with not only the COVID-19, but also at the same time, on, in the oil and gas front, Saudi Arabia declares war on oil pricing. And, you know, just one-two punch there. So then we go through, but I've been through three market crashes. In yeah. Terms. And growing yep. up, I remember some of the fun of them. Oh, wait, was such a year. It was yeah, mm, horrible. Stressful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So... If I didn't have the Lord, I probably would have gone postal at some point, but I'm okay. You you take a lot of, you have to be a good listener and you have to take a lot of the concerns, reassure the clients that here's what we're doing and this is working and we're going to be fine or the market may be down this much or down this much. It's smaller, much smaller percentage, but Everybody starts, that's a high stress level. But the more clients I can reach out to, the, the better off that they're happy that I called them. Mm-hmm. It's just, so that's what makes those days so, so, so busy when we're going through that kind of deal. Yeah, you have to be proactive or other people are calling you anyway, saying, yeah. what's happening? Then if I've done my job educating the clients as to why we're in different positions and what that's doing for us and the protection level, the pro and the con, some of those clients joyfully were calling me to say, is this a good time to buy more of X investment, which it was a perfect time to do that. It was a great opportunity. The glass is not half empty. It's half full. And, my favorite quote from Warren Buffett is people should be selling investments when everybody's exuberant and thinking how smart they are. And they should be buying those companies or those investment stocks when it, when there's blood in the streets and panic. (laughs) That's when you look at being a strategic investor versus an emotional investor. Everybody has an emotional response to their money. That's normal. Mm-hmm. If we can turn it around to this is an opportunity, not a catastrophe, 
and look how well that's happened, then that, that is where we do well. In 2008, if clients took their money out at the bottom of the market because they were panicked, and I actually had clients say, well, I don't want to get back in until it's better. Uh-huh. Okay, so you took it out at the better, you took it out at the bottom of the market, you've locked in, you've locked in your loss doing that. And, and then, then you want to buy back when let it's me, <laughs> Yeah, when you wouldn't let me put the money back in, you were too nervous about it, then you took the hit. The clients that listened and that we had properly positioned um, in diversified positions, those clients that left it in had all the money back within a year. Yeah. All the money back. The clients exactly. that took it out are the ones that left unhappy. Yeah, I think that this is a just a misconception, not just with financial advising, but with handling your finances at all. Yeah. Is it truly if you what I've learned from you and some other I've really gotten into personal finance lately. Um, I guess I'm kind of stepping into the Um, but anyway it's if you truly just commit to holding it for a long time consistently investing over your lifetime you don't even have and just diversifying someone who i saw this study if you don't didn't even pay attention to the market at all and just consistently invested two hundred dollars over your whole every month over your whole life no matter if it was the worst of times or the best of times you would still be better than someone who's like, I've got to play the market. I've got it. It's all down. I got to buy. Oh, it's about to drop. I got to sell it. Um, so just stick it out. And, it, and studies have also shown if people just stuck it out in 08, you would have bounced back just fine. You don't have to sell it all. Anyway. Kelsey, you, you have a future with Kemp Financial Services. When can you come? Oh my gosh. Well, I know that you've been trying to recruit me since I was uh, <laughs> a able to speak. child. Yes, yeah, pretty much. But um, <clears throat> yeah. I, so I what think- you said is exactly true. And I show clients a chart that I have on my wall that is all the major um, stock market hits and all the things that have hit, hit the market um, over the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it goes back to the Great Depression and everything. And here's what each type of investment has done in that period of time. There's never been a 10-year segment in the S&P 500 index where you started out with X number of dollars day one of the, of the 10th year. And even if you ended the 10th year, let's say you went from 98 to the end of 08 and you had this huge crash, you're still money ahead in that 10-year segment. There's never been a 10-year segment of the S&P 500 index where it's lost money. Mm. So that's yeah, why so every, <laughs> every base, the base of every investment should start with an S&P 500 index fund. That's just good prudent planning. Good financial advice. That's another one that's for free. Yes. <laughs> See, didn't expect As always, it's a pleasure one. serving you today. At Kemp Financial Services, which you, I realized that I could... I could informally be included in, um, seeing that I share the last name. But um, just quickly to wrap up, um, what? Uh, just a few more questions of what type of person do you feel would be best suited to a career in financial advising? Because I definitely know it takes a certain kind of person. It does. It does. Okay. There's there's one other thing that I have to say that's the nemesis of the business. Okay. Pa- paperwork. If there's oh. anywhere we need somebody environmentally concerned to stop killing trees, it's the amount of paperwork we have to do in our business. You have to prove 10 times that you're doing the right thing for the client. 
-hmm. that, you know, of course it's going to go online and be, be, uh, you know, electronic soon, but there's just so much proof and paperwork and note keeping and fact finding information. My largest clients have multiple files because they're all so thick. So that would be the negative. So answering your question about who's well suited, number one, you got to love people and be outgoing. Um, if you're not outgoing, you could still work. You can enjoy serving people and you can still work, but you need to be in one of the big firms where the people come to you or a bank where people come to you. Um, if, if you're, wanting to own your own business and you're a self-starter and you're self-motivated and you go, 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 um, then this can be a phenomenal career. It really can. Mm -hmm. um, and like I was taught years ago, you know, the more money you want to make, just go see more people. So I've turned that into see more people focus on my market niche. Um, we've, we've been able to, find that business owners, guess what? They, they race cars. Well, what have I done for 15 years? I got to race cars, write it off as business promotion. At least half my CPA would only let me write half off. <laughs> but I, at every weekend of racing, I was with a dozen business owners and I have so many clients from that over the years. So there's, there's niche marketing that you can do, which is lifestyle marketing. It may be that you're just working with people that you know from church. That's great. You love the Lord, you're working, that, that, that's lifestyle marketing too. Mm -hmm. So going back to people that are, if, if you're a people person, if you're a natural type problem solver, love to serve people, have thick skin because you will get chewed out. There will be people that are upset when they see a negative on their statement. That's, that, that's just a, you have to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> be professional about it, but then you also have to show them, well, here's what this statement shows. But if you already look like, especially in March, March was a bottom. By the time people got the March statements in April, we were already back up five, 6%. So I would be able to show them, okay, online, I can see what you're looking at. Here's your statement. Here's the negative, but here's where you are right now. And here's the trajectory seems to be, here's, here's what we can realistically expect. We're going to get out of this. So the, the people that um, you got to be ethical, you can't be looking for the fast buck. It's not a fast buck business. So the financial, financial business, you grow it over time. Um, but you got to be reliable, responsible, ethical, patient. And for you, I feel your greatest asset is I mean, personally your positivity and your optimistic outlook on things because otherwise I mean I feel like I'm a pretty positive person but I don't know if I honestly would be able to deal with the stuff that you deal with with getting you know people get so emotionally tied and to their money understandably and you're there to serve them through that but you also have to be on the other end of the phone when they're not understanding and they're really reacting and blaming and all of these things so um you have to have a thick skin as you said but then also to be able to assume the risk that you have 
in starting your own practice instead of continuing to work for a company, in your own investments, and just the nature of your business, I think that you have to be pretty optimistic and just trusting that it'll work out. It's okay. <laughs> Can't be super fearful. You have to be um, very responsible, but not super fearful. What's your take on that? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, I've had so many people say over the years that I'm the most optimistic person they know. That it's serves true. that serves me well. However, I try to read information like market updates, things like that, from pessimistic people also. Because if you if you only have rose colored glasses, guess what? No. Candidly, rose-colored is very close to maroon, so that's close to my glasses color anyways, right? But, oh but gig them. Um, but there has to be a reality check to what you're doing as well. And you have to realize, hey, if something's not working out, call a spade a spade. Say, I'm sorry, this is not going well. That has happened recently with the oil and gas war with Saudi Arabia started back in March, right before the pandemic hit. Um, actually right about the same time. And we had some large oil and gas positions for clients and I had to call them and say, Hey, this does not look good. I do not see us coming back from this quickly. Mm -hmm. So do you want to move to safety or you want to ride it out? But I had to give them the pro and con of each one. It's their money. It's mm -hmm. their choice. And a lot of them asked, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm moving out. Yeah, I'm moving out and I'm moving to technology positions. We did a lot of research on 5G. That seems to be a big rollout in June. All that. Uh, so hmm. other things you have to keep up with in the business, you have to, you have to keep up with, uh, be good at math, keep up with accounting, tax laws, um, anything that affects your clients, you need to be in the know. Yeah, keep well-researched, up-to-date. So I typically ask about what kind of educational or experiential um, qualifications are required to get your foot in the door for any certain industry. From what I already know about financial advising is plenty of firms, like I've had friends that were marketing majors or in the liberal arts school or whatever, they or English even, they still recruit into their financial advising practice. Sure. Um, so it seems like you could major in anything, you could do whatever. Um, is getting an undergraduate degree even required in your opinion? I think it's highly valuable because the type of level, if, if you wanna be truly successful, now you may be a grassroots, get it done person, and uh -huh. God bless you, you can be successful. The, the American dream is still alive, mm -hmm. but it requires a, quite a bit of self-education at that point. And yeah. my college education gave me a good framework for that. I would applaud anybody in the marketing uh, genre. You're, that's, that's so helpful that, yeah, that it, it's it really good is. That that's part of undergraduate everything is marketing. If you specialized in marketing and then you added a minor in finance or accounting or any, any economics or financial work, that could serve you just as well as my degree in economics. My degree in economics helps me understand supply and demand economics and what's going on in trends in the economy. But if I didn't understand marketing, I may not have any clients. If I don't understand <laughs> tax law, if I don't understand tax law or if I'm um, just don't have the aptitude for 
for helping problem solve, then I'm not going to do well in the business. So if you just, the basic framework is an undergraduate degree with some business focus, I would definitely put marketing into that. I would want general knowledge of finance, accounting, basic math skills, communication skills are huge. So to wrap up, um, I would love to hear um, not just what have been the keys to your own success, but kind of from the lens of a young person is listening and maybe they kind of relate to your spirit and your story and career. And they're saying, I'm, I'm ambitious. I want a career where there's not a ceiling on what I could do. I could always work harder and get more results. And um, there's a lot of uh, reward in that. Um, and so for that type of person, what advice or wisdom would you share with them? Just like a couple of nuggets of it to set them off. And um, so if, if you have a family member or a friend of the family that is a financial advisor that, that your family, your parents, your grandparents, whoever really respect, go ask them if you can buy them lunch and just ask them for their advice, guidance and advice and, 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 um, um, interview them, ask them questions like you're asking me. That's helpful. Um, yeah, and, that's perfect. That's literally what I help. Uh, I primarily encourage my clients in when they're in the job application phase, mm -hmm. don't go knocking on people's doors, asking for jobs or a way in look and connect with people that you genuinely admire and ask their advice that's so honoring to them. And then as you're asking, saying, wow, I, I really, I have learned so much. And I think um, I'm just affirmed in how much I would be interested in having a career that looks anything like yours. What would, how did you get your foot in the door and what would you recommend? Still, you're just asking for advice. You're not asking for a job. More often than not, that's actually how you get someone in your corner and literally get a job. The person who directly asked for it doesn't get it. <laughs> Going back to college days, I asked a dear friend of mine whose dad was successful with Merrill Lynch in, in Northwest Houston. I asked him for his opinion and his advice and all that. And he's the one that actually set up the meeting with Merrill Lynch in Houston Boom. because yeah. I couldn't get in on my own. They didn't, they didn't want to talk to somebody straight out of college. You need to go get some sales experience and then come see us. So exactly. Yeah. Use your network networks, everything. So keys to success. Um, always do the right thing. Uh, strong faith in God, prayer and tithing have been incredible to me. Yeah. Um, I want people to know financially, if you're a Christian, you can't outgive God. Um, best investment you'll ever make is tithing. And it's not a law thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. So um, I think that when you're serving people properly, that comes through. And when you care about them, um, you know, I've had so many clients over the years that have called and said, Hey, I know you're a Christian. Could you, could you pray for this? And I'm like, you know what? Let's pray right now. Mm. That's powerful because they know you care so much that you're going to stop what you're doing. You're going to pray for them right now. Yeah. And that you and I both knowing that ADD is a real thing. You don't <laughs> want to forget. You don't want to say, I'll pray for you and then forget what kind of a friend are you doing that? 
So anyways, it's important yeah. to hear people out, to listen to them, to care about what they're saying, um, to see where you can be of service, to see where you can be of help. And, and um, when you do a good job, you, you get referred more good work. You know what's so funny, Daddy? I, I think in college, I heard of a lot of advice like that, but while everything was still theoretical, I, I genuinely thought, no, there has to be some strategic, tactical advice that is the secret to life or whatever. Nope. <laughs> now that I have more like four years out of college and two years in tech consulting, two years in building my own business, genuinely, I stand behind everything you just said that life is the common things aren't so common or common knowledge isn't so common. Um, and people maybe like I did want to complicate it and say life and career is all about strategy, all about tricks. And it's just those people like myself in the past just want to be the hare when really the tortoise is the one that is there just humbly serving people and saying each day, how can I brighten someone's day? How can I serve them? How can I genuinely connect? And not in a what is that going to get for me kind of way, um, just I'm here to serve. And look at what that kind of attitude has brought you. It's pretty crazy. You have a huge legacy, a huge base of clients that you've worked with and helped them obtain um, financial freedom in a level that they could be so proud of in a way that impacts their life and their children's lives and um, clients that are family friends and so grateful that you're there to help. Um, and I think it all truly, like, I just know that you really believe what you said that yep. if you just are kind and service oriented um like that's that's really what life's about that's it that's it well what a good way to end the podcast then thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that you're welcome and i'm proud of you kelsey oh that's so If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other bingeable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon. <laughs>